0: We got to do the intro. Yeah, we got to do the intro first. Should we do an intro first?
1: Have you guys ever met David (laughs) Spizak?
0: This is Auto Collabs. I have met David Spizak. Actually, so probably... You know, there's certain meals in your life that you just remember always the remember the first the time you met
2: David Spiesack. That's funny. It was so impactful that I remember the first time you met David Spiesack and I wasn't even there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I was at Business Bourbon and Cigars. Okay. Louisville, Kentucky. Very first one. Very first Business Bourbon. I haven't been to one since because, you know, you got to be a dealer. You got to sponsor the thing. So, you know, that's where my boat is. But. So I'm there and. The first thing is, you know, I'm just, at that point, like I'm fresh out of coming from a dealership or maybe it's like, I think it's actually my second to last month, I'm still at the dealership. And I just come in hot, just basically angry at everybody. (laughs) Oh, I thought you were gonna be
1: like, oh my gosh, it's Davis Pizak, I love you.
0: No, 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 no. I I essentially like just basically tell everyone in the room three times, like, why do you keep acting like dum-dums when you do, you know, customer experience (laughs) stuff? And so he brings me up and he's like, this guy, he's actually challenging all you old folks in the room. And so later that night, he has me sit down next to him at dinner. And that was the first and last time I spoke that night. I'm just kidding. No, Uh, but no, I had a really impactful conversation with him just because of the way that he was like approaching me saying, Hey, look, this is like the way that you're communicating is something that needs to be communicated to more people. Um, and so it was part, one of the like things that led to, Hey, look, Kyle, I think, you know, you've got a, a voice that needs to be shared in auto. So a lot of that is uh, it's, he's part of that responsibility. It's
1: pretty wow. cool. I mean, one of the things I appreciate about him is it it is clear anytime you speak with him. The depth of knowledge he has about how this industry operates, Without not just from a dealership level, but the undercurrent, what's happening on Capitol Hill, like all the OEM factors, like the the guy just knows this industry in and out. And the second thing I appreciate is when you ask him a question, he actually thinks before he delivers his response, which mm-hmm. let's be honest, is sometimes a rarity in our industry where there's just a lot of chirping birds. I think it's a candy. rarity
2: in any industry, Michael. Yes. but.
1: I don't work in those industries, so... No, you don't. <laughs> so, so there we are.
2: Oh, uh, well, we hope you enjoy this conversation that we had with David Spizak.
1: Hey, welcome to our very first episode of Comedian in His Car <laughs> Driving to Get a Coffee. I don't know if... Do you guys know this, that David Spizak, our guest today, is a, was a stand-up comedian? I knew that. I, we knew that only recently. Yeah. I'm still waiting for him to drop like
0: a really, uh, a really that's hot one. Don't, one. don't, don't, D- don't. David. No, re- remind
1: me though. You, you've. I mean, you, you've shared the stage with Robin Williams. Who? who, uh, else? who oh, this
3: is way game, back, game but there work? would have been uh, Michael Pollack or Kevin Pollack rather, Sinbad, Bobby Slayton. Um, Golly, a, 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 a lot, a, lot, a of, lot of guys. Like Sinbad. Sinbad, yeah, I used to have that show and um, TV show. Yeah, like yeah, um, and it, it, I mean a whole lot of guys back back in the day. Of course, I started in comedy before comedy really blew up. Thanks to cable, you know, it was really it was um, cable that really put comedy on a different level. And I had my daughter in 1983 and uh, learned very quickly that comedy and being on the road was not conducive to being an all in good dad. And so I, I left, I left it for a long period of time. And then, um, somewhere around 19, I'm sorry, 2006, I was in a comedy club and ran into somebody, an old, old buddy. And he said, Hey, you know, uh, you know, do you ever think about getting on stage? And I said, yeah, all the time. I said, but it's hard to find the time. And he says, well, there's a show at Caroline's in on Broadway in New York next month you're going to be back in new york i said i i will and he says well he says i know the producer i'll i'll get you on stage i said this is one of those things yeah sure that sounds great and so i said yes (laughs) without really giving much thought to it you know and you haven't been on stage in 20 years and i haven't i'm not a i'm not a skit comic or a bit comic i was more of a ad-lib topical based and um, but I said, sure. And then for the next 30 days, I had just, you know, I was terrified and just had anxiety uh, <laughs> because I hadn't done it in so long. But I, I did go on there at Caroline's. And, um, and and just so you know, when you're a, when you're starting as a comic, as a comic, you, you're the first one out. Right. And so you're going to get probably three to five minutes and then you're going to get the red light and the next one, next one. Well, this was a show that had six comedians on it. And so I'm back in the green room and, and waiting and waiting. And I thought for sure I'd be the first guy out. I wasn't second guy. I wasn't. And I got put up second to last, which just kind of added to the terror (laughs) and expectations. Yeah. And, uh, but fortunately, you know, really what it comes down to is kind of like the car business. You have to have a a little bit of a plan. You need to know how you're going to go into something and how you're going to get out of something. So to me, I, the only thing I ever prepared was what was going to be my opening line. And, and and you wait for a laugh, a big laugh. And then that's typically when you say, okay, I'm done. I'm out of here.
2: Okay. And, so are you going to share <laughs> the big question that we all have on our minds right now? Are you going to share your opening line with us?
3: Uh, well, let's see. If <laughs> Did I, you
2: see that fear in his if, eyes, folks? If I,
3: if I could recall, if I could recall it went something like this. Uh, because the MC mentioned that this is my first time back on stage in 20 years, um, and and so I I I I thought I'd roll with that, and so I said, "Hey, uh, thanks so much. I appreciate the welcome. It's true, it's my first time on stage in front of a camera in over 20 years, uh, of course." And. Unless you count that uh, webcam incident a couple of days ago, and there was a guy in the front row, and I said, "By the way, it's good to see you again. You uh, look great that <laughs> night." And 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 the whole place busted up laughing. I just opened up with that ad lib, and they all went down laughing. And then once you get that first laugh, you're like, "Okay, sh- sh- I got this." So yeah, uh, so I rolled until you know I waited and waited for that red light, and it seems like forever. Of course, it was only about probably all of 12 minutes, but it went <laughs> fine. And then after that, I just ended up doing some stuff back there at uh, Upper 75th, Fields, Caroline's, and then also on the West Coast. And I ran that out for about probably three or four years and decided to retire once again.
2: Well, that's perfect wow. because just uh, about a week ago at the time of recording, you held a live stream event in automotive, uh, circling around and, and kind of talking about the concept of EVs, how many hours was that? Was it three hours? Uh,
3: It was eight hours it was eight hours. So you guys can appreciate this conceptually. It started out as a three hour event that turned into a five hour that gave birth to an eight hour event. And Oh
2: my gosh, I didn't realize it was an eight hour.
3: Yeah, event. it was, eight, it was eight hours. Uh, That's so, called a
2: telethon.
3: Yeah. It was longer than some relationships that I've had and um, <laughs> no offense to any of those ladies. Uh, but listen, I was a teenager. Okay. We all learn. Um but anyways, it was, it was really a spectacular event, thanks to people like you, uh, Paul. And um, I was just on, on a call with Chase Fraser, Ron Fry, Jeff Pohanka, and uh, Michael Dunn, and so many others that you guys know. Liza, spectacular as always. Um, and just, you know, it was just, it was just really wonderful. Uh, you get kind of lost. I'm sure you feel the same way, guys. But you get kind of lost becoming a member of the audience and listening and um, just really enjoying these genuine conversations. And so I learned a tremendous amount and um, I did what I hoped to do, which was uh, hopefully gave people much more transparency into where we're going and some great information that they could use in every department in order to uh, navigate through this transformation to EVs.
0: What what was the... uh prevailing thing that you are, are hearing and seeing dealers really work to grapple with when it comes Ah. to the EV landscape? Like, is there, is there one thing that everybody's the most concerned with right now or the most interested in? Um, You know, we've got, we've got things like tax credits on the hood. We've got inventory, uh, you know, demand not being met. We've got Uh, the horizon of all these, uh, you know, new features, or we've got charging or we've got the financing and what, what are you seeing most dealers key in on when it comes to their preparation?
3: I think um, for starters, just consider this because it's extraordinary. Um, Normally, isn't it true that regardless of the business, whether you're in real estate, you sell widgets, you're, you're an automotive, you're a, uh, a service facility, or, you know, a franchise dealer shop or whatever, but, or, or a sales department, whoever does the best job selling wins. Is that true? You win. You're going to yeah. get the most clients. You're going to make the most revenue. You're going to generate the most profit, and you're going to make the most money. It's, it's inverse with EVs. The, if you think about this, the dealer that sells the most EVs this year is likely going to have the largest hit to their net profit. And that's just weird. I mean, it's peculiar and it's interesting. And so how do I navigate the reality that when I sell an ICE car, I have this uh, predicted outcome from a profitability standpoint? I know what the average ICE car is. I know how much they supply. I know how long it takes to sell one. I know what the typical gross profit outcome is. I know what it's going to mean for me from a net perspective and in my service department. All that goes out the window right? With, with EVs. Second, second thing is if you're a franchise like Mercedes or BMW, Audi, Chevy, Hyundai, Kia, and, and growing every quarter you're getting, your allocation is fewer is comprised of fewer ice vehicles and more EVs. Well, hold on. That's not what I want uh, because I I want want more ice cars, right? And this is the big thing. Thank you for saying that you guys know this all any dealer wants is please give me inventory give me cars give me models and trims that my customers are looking for and i'll handle the rest don't worry i got it but that's not what's happening here this is something where interestingly you know for three years you've all heard the expression a million times either life happens to you or you happen to it and what does that mean well normally when you happen to it, the inference is that's when you are the force of nature and something good's gonna happen. When it happens to you, it usually kicked your butt. Well, for three years, that was inverted, right? We're in a bizarro world. So for three years, life happened to dealers and it was record profitability for three years in a row. But now clock has struck 12 um, and Cinderella style. And, and now we're back to the real world. You gotta sell cars. Prices are going up, staffing is going up, floor plan expense, advertising is up, and all of a sudden, we're getting more inventory, but the sales travel rate is not moving at the same pace as the inventory supply. We're up 60-plus percent last year all in, including EVs, and our sales rate year-over-year is up maybe 10% at best. The delta between the two spells margin compression, spells additional cost to sell from advertising expense. Sales comp, um, the ugly four letter word minis has come creeping back into conversations. And it's just a different world. So all of a sudden EVs are exacerbating that. If I have one of those franchises, you know, I'm in a different world. So if you look at Lexus and Toyota, if you look at all the franchises that, that we have in our industry, and you look at the ones that December was frankly the 24th month of 2022, What franchises were those? Well, it was Lexus, it was Toyota, it was Honda, it was Subaru, um, and believe it or not, Kia was in the top six as well. And you think about the majority, none of those are dominated by EVs. All of them continued to subscribe to the one too few, is better than the one too many. So they acted more like a Rolex store than than like a, a Walmart, for example, no offense uh, Mr. Buffett, but, um, you have a fine organization and they do, but but the reality is the, the, thank you. I mean, the reality and just as to get tangential, I mean, Walmart's the number one retailer, not because they sell better, but because they buy better than anybody else. They buy what people want. They track every shelf, every location, and they pay attention to that data. Mm -hmm. We're not, the OEMs are not paying attention to the data we have a massive supply demand issue, and just this morning on squawk box and CNBC you know Tesla's uh, stock price uh, was lowered by Goldman Sachs and um, you know there is clearly a supply demand issue there's a, a big lag and separation between what we 're producing and what people want to buy okay so but and, here's the, here's my
0: know, problem then and and i'll just uh, I'll just say let's
3: keep personal problems. I'm going to,
0: I'm going to bring this, this is going to be personal. No, I'm just kidding. The problem now at this point is and, – and Ford has just said that they're going to move all of these employees over to their ICE vehicle uh, machines and and start producing more on the ICE side again. But you've already got – all of these manufacturers have poured millions if not billions into producing yes. facilities that are machined and tooled to produce these EVs. So it's not like it's not coming. It is going to come. So we either have to shift the demand matrix uh, or – work with the demand that we have, which is going to be, that's going to be, I think the hardest thing is figuring out what the dealers have the responsibility to, to, to uh, almost help create the demand within the buying uh, network, because it's not like the vehicles haven't either been made already or already ready to be produced. And these OEMs aren't turning away uh, the, the pressures from the political landscape right now. Um, and unless there's a massive change in that in the next year, then we're going to see this continue to happen over the next year. So my question is, is like, how do we stop complaining about it as, 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 as an automotive industry, which I agree, there's a lot to complain about because demand is not meeting supply. And how do we actually, as a dealer, if you know that the supply is coming, how do you prepare to make sure that you can be ready? Like, where do you find the profit? Where do you find the margins? Where do you find the profit centers in order to be equipped to still make money with EVs in the landscape?
3: So first of all, fantastic the way you framed it and completely appropriate. Uh, I'm going to up level it. Just one little thing. Um, all that has to be done in the next 12 to 18 months, <laughs> right? All of it. Okay. And I'll tell you why It's because the Chinese are coming. Okay. And it's not a joke. These are not the cars they were building 10 years ago that uh, would have had a tough time handling a collision with a, a shopping cart. These are real deal, high quality cars that, have solid state batteries that are under $30,000 that have all the features, all the functionality. And they have a bandwidth from high performance cars all the way down to economy, from SUVs to minivans. It's going to take five or eight years for our OEMs. But here's the key thing for everybody that, that Kyle just brought up. How do we stop complaining and start moving forward in a productive way? Because like it or not, they're not coming, they're here. And guess what? They're multiplying like jackrabbits. We're going to have twice as many models in the next year. And we have to figure this out, honestly, in the next 12 to 18 months. So number one, Liza said a couple of things are really, really important. Number one is, first of all, you're either going to decide to be all in or you're frankly going to be on the outside. Uh, looking in. Now, you could say, well, I'm okay with that because they lose money. You could say that Mm -hmm. now. Well, wait till your market is five or seven or eight or 10% EVs. Are you going to tell me I'm okay saying goodbye to five or 10% of my new car volume? Do the math right now based on profitability per car right now. What percentage of your current sales can you say goodbye to before it starts to have very bad implications on your net profit? Second thing is she specifically said she has a EV specialist in each and every Mm -hmm. dealership. I think that's a rarity and it needs to change. Rarity. You have to lean in. The third thing is she's making a very significant investment in both time and money by working with Bev Everything, for example, and getting training on a monthly basis so that her team is fully equipped. And by the way, for anybody listening... This is somebody who's doing this in Virginia, where they have a relatively small percentage in rural communities. But you know what? She's planting the seeds. And I always go back to this. We are where we are today, not because of what we did yesterday. It's because of what we did mm-hmm. a year ago, two years ago. She's CMA is planting the seeds to dominate in EVs, just like they dominate in ICE. You cannot control what happens at the OEM. You certainly can't control the government. So focus on what you can control. And that is delivering a absolutely wicked experience according to McKinsey, according to Forbes and everybody else. EV buyers lean on experience more than ice buyers. Deliver them a spectacular experience, make sure your people are knowledgeable and you'll be able to optimize what we have to work with today but more importantly you'll be in a position to absolutely crush it when things start turning around for the better they're going to get better they're going to get more reliable the batteries are going to start being 4 and 500 miles and they're going to get more affordable when that happens you want to dominate lastly why 15 or 18 months like i said when byd shows up with their cars made in mexico that still qualify oh for the 7500 and by the way they they are specifically courting the top 50 dealer groups out there. They're not begging people, hey, can you please take this franchise like Hugo did or even Hyundai back in the 80s, right? So, they're going after the best of the best. If you compete with the best of the best, and oh, by the way, the year's 2024, if you have a phone, we all compete. It's not the dealer across the street. You need to say, I'm going to make a decision consciously. I'm going to lean in, invest in my people, set my Myself. oh boy oh boy there we go
2: oh. hey there we he went <laughs> oh <laughs> we all we both we all looked at each other and went Well, oh, look oh look here's boy.
0: the thing i think it lean in and invest in your people i don't think you could actually you couldn't wrap an auto collabs podcast any no. better than that because <laughs> <It's> that's true <laughs> like that's no. what we're all about here and and whether you're talking about evs or cleaning the toilets in the bathroom invest in your people, right? Because every single person counts and they're the ones living the experience to the front line. It's clear you're passionate about that. I can't wait to see what you do uh, with this series of content for dealers over the next year. Uh, David, thank you so much for joining us today. You know, it's always a pleasure
3: to hang out with you guys. I love your creativity, your ingenuity, but what I love most is your people first. Mentality and that you're educating, informing, and passionately communicating. We don't know how the stock market's going to do this year. We don't know what's going to happen with dealerships. I suspect profit's going to go down another 20%, but I can guarantee you this you guys are money because there is no better ROI day in and day out than when you invest in your people. Thank you for having me. You said it. You should wear shirts like that.
1: I don't know. People.
3: Love your people.
1: Okay, well, there's a couple of things that impress me. First one is I cannot speak and drive. I I just can't. Like and I've arrived <laughs> at the age where I have to turn the radio down to find parking at Walmart. Oh. <laughs> and so the fact that he was yep. driving in the snow or ice and was able to formulate deep thought-provoking statements about current fares of EVs in this industry. Uh, mazel tov. Well, is how there's the,
2: the print, the premise that he talks about, like where you are today is not because of what you did yesterday. It's because of what you did a year ago. Yeah. I don't, I don't think he could, he could put it any more clearly, especially when it comes to the topic of EVs um, and the propensity of this industry in general to think in 30 day cycles, maybe if you're lucky, in quarterly cycles. Um, but without a doubt, when he mentioned Liza Borsh's thinking over mm-hmm. the horizon, saying like, hey, this is a small percentage of my market right now, but I'm going to dominate when it becomes um, a larger percentage. That perspective is a drum that he always seems to talk about, right? Like thinking of what's going to happen as a secondary tertiary you know, thing from now. But I think that that is one of the reasons when he says, we have to solve this now, that message Leading with, leading with that message, I think, is a part of the solution. I mean, not I don't because, know. Tra- track with me.
0: Like, Tesla is dominating the market not because of what they did three weeks ago with their pricing changes. That's it's for because sure. Because they were willing to do the work 10 and a, ten and 13 years ago to put in the time to dominate the market now. So, like, you're already behind. You might as well get going.
1: Yeah. You're already. It reminds me, uh, a conference uh, about two years ago. Gosh, I got to remember her name. I'll get it. I'll get it to Nathan so he can put it in the notes. Um, she's an investor that only deals with future and uh, uh, developing, you know, research and things like that AI, obviously, robotics, um, pharmaceutical stuff, and advancements in technology there, and specifically said Tesla. She did not say EVs. She said Tesla, and she said that the the hedge there is the battery technology. We're all busy talking about the vehicle. Elon and Tesla are, they know that it's about the battery technology that they've spent this whole time developing. And and I remember being like, huh, I never thought of it that way. Um, and
2: she then she was shortly like, that's why I'm
1: richer than you are. <laughs> y- yeah. Well, yes, that. But also <laughs> shortly thereafter, you saw an immediate like all of the different EV manufacturers, different automakers are like, oh, we're going to now support the Tesla charger. Thing. Uh, and I was like, ah, there it is. So, I mean, there, there are definitely some undercurrents that we're not talking about yet that we should be talking about when it comes to EVs. Um, But there you go. I was going to say before, before you made your last point, uh, Kyle, I was going to be like, Hey, but I, I'm curious, like what, wh- what did you pick up on, on the conversation you had that in between you and David Spies that me and Paul watched? Well, I,
0: I, yeah i mean i just always love bantering with him because i feel like you know it's it's fun because i get to like get my get my say in and and you know in a lot of our world i you know dealing with people that maybe haven't worked in dealerships you know for me like to to coming from the front lines like he he's he lived for so long in the dealership world and still is extremely steeped in like the operations and so um you know understanding that operations isn't uh plug in the new widget that it's a lot deeper than that is oh. a lot of fun for me. So, eh, you know, I got the, got, got the lion's shares of the questions in That's good. Uh, and so appreciate that. But uh, Hey, look, we're going to keep having this conversation. So if you want to keep having this conversation, we're always going to do it here on auto We'll probably laugh a little bit too. So you should come back for the next one on behalf of myself, Michael Cirillo and Paul J Daly. Thanks for joining us on auto collabs
2: sign up for our free and fun to read daily email for a free shot of relevant news and automotive retail media and pop culture you can get it now at asotu.com that's com. if you love this podcast please leave us a review and share it with a friend thanks again for listening we'll see you next time Welcome to Autocollaps.
1: Why are we recording? Are we rolling yet? (laughs)